All right. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you to look at this sacred text. We know that your word is true. We know it is a hammer that breaks hearts of stone. We know that it is a sword that pierces our hearts. We know that it is light unto our path. And we know that it is a mirror that reveals sin. And so, Father, even as we look at this text and how we are to live this new life, I, I come at it trembling because I know that I'm guilty before it. But I just praise the Lord that I have forgiveness in Christ. Father, we pray that you would bless this time, that we would hear from your word, that we would hear the voice of Christ through his word, and that we would make changes, life changes, reflecting repentance, reflecting love, reflecting Christ. We pray you would help us, help us to hear in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before, uh, as I worked as a supervisor and I was recruiting workers, I remember during the Christmas season uh, in the warehouse, I'd have to hire maybe 100 or 200 employees. So a lot of folks would come in and we'd see a lot of turnover and everything like that. I remember there was this one worker in the warehouse and he said he was a believer. And when I first met him, I was very encouraged. As our relationship continued, I started to become discouraged. He told everyone he was a Christian. He said, praise God, hallelujah, anytime he had the opportunity. I got, the, I got this pallet, praise God. I finished up my job, hallelujah. He was just always saying that. He told everyone he went to church. Then he started taking days off for this church activity and that church activity on Tuesday, on Thursday, on Friday. Then he started to spend time talking about God, but hardly did any work. Started coming in late all the time, and I noticed he started padding his timesheet. He was late, and then he started to write in that he came in earlier. 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And when he tried to share the gospel, no one wanted to hear him. He made a mockery of the new life in Christ he said he had received. We've been studying this new life in Christ and its implications. What Paul is writing about by the Holy Spirit is that true theology always has practical life applications. True theology will always change lives. True theology, when it is bowed to, when it is received, when it is believed, always changes lives. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, that's going to be our text of concentration. He says here, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word 
proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would live out your new life in Christ. He gave out this passage for you this morning so that you would practically, experientially live out this new life in Christ. Paul, he answers this question. Paul, if what you are saying is true, if we are loved, if we are elected, if we have been regenerated, if we have been justified and are being changed, if this new life is true, what does it practically look like? You know, I like Ikea instructions. Because if I get something, and, and my son is a lot better, and, he, and he, when he sees all these little intricate parts, and uh, all these, he has these massive Lego collections, and they're so complicated, I don't even want to touch them. It's just not the way I'm wired. right? And it has all these different instructions and things you have to do. He has all these solar parts and belts going around here, and there's moving parts, and he programs and codes through the computer. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I can't do that, right? I like IKEA instructions. Why? Because they're so simple. It's just a picture. Now, I know what it's supposed to look like in the end, right? But I also want you to tell me how it looks like as I live my life right now. I want to know how it looks like so simply so that I could evaluate myself and look in the mirror of the Word of God and see where I'm failing and see where I'm uh, improving and ask God for even more improvement so that I would live my new life. So how do you do that? Well, if you want to live out this new life and bring glory to Christ, there are three principles you must heed. He gives this in three different principles. And the first one, if you're following along, if you have notes, says here, reform your behavior. Reform your behavior. In verses 25 to 29, he talks about practical ways of changing your behavior. He talks in the positive and he talks in the negative, or sometimes you'll say in the negative and then in the positive. Notice he says here in verse 25, lay aside falsehood, speak truth. Verse 26, be angry, do not sin. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from the mouth, but such as only a word that is good for edification. Okay, I like this. I like this. Why? Because it's easy for me to understand, and it doesn't give any kind of space for me to misunderstand. You understand? <laughs> but if you notice in verse uh, 25, it says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you his neighbor. Again, brothers and sisters, and all you young people here, if Paul writes, therefore, what do you have to find? 
what it's there for, right? So the therefore is in conjunction with the context of the previous passage. And the therefore is this, where he says, See this, so, so, so this I say, verse 17, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, being darkened in their understanding, being excluded. He says, don't live like an unbeliever. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught him, thus as truth is in Jesus. We remember from that text last week, Christ himself teaches through the word. The Ephesians never met Christ. And he says, just as you have heard Christ, when Christ is being preached, when Christ is being taught, Christ himself, by the Holy Spirit, mediating his presence, is teaching his people. And he teaches his people how to walk, how to live. He says here, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, and that you be renewed in the spirit of the mind, put on the new self. So here's the context. Paul is connecting it here. There was the old life, here's the new. Now what does it look like? What does it look like when I'm with my parents? What does it look like when I'm with my kids? What does it look like when I'm with my wife, my husband? What does it look like at work? What does it look like when I'm out on the job? What does it look like when I am playing sports? Outside, recreation, vacation. What does that look like? He says here first, in verse 25, we'll take the first portion here. Maintain your integrity. Maintain your integrity. And you notice he says here to speak truth. In the imperative, it's a command. He's saying that we ought to speak truth. When we are with one another, the Christian ought not to have falsehood, ought not to have half-truths, ought not to have covering of sin when we speak to one another. The redeemed and regenerated Christian must speak truth. He has brought, brought back from darkness into life. You know, sometimes we get so discouraged. I mean, I... Um, I, I looked at this meme um, on Facebook. It was kind of funny. And it said uh, it, had <laughs> it had Hillary and it had Trump. And on it, it said, straight out of options. <laughs> right? The American people are so tired of being lied to. Right? But we actually, this is how bad it is, okay? We try and choose a candidate by the person who lies the least to us. So awful, right? Beer commercials. If you have this beer, all of a sudden you'll have a nice pool and all these girls all around you and, and music and party blaring. Just hold on to that beer. Whoosh, lies, right? If you have this app, it'll change your life. If you have this new car, it'll change your life. Lies, lies, lies. And so we bring that into the church. And Paul says, you ought not to be this way. You ought not to be this way. Jesus himself is what? The way, the truth and the life. He exudes truth. All that he says is true. There is no other lie. There's no falsehood in him. There's no lie in him. Everything he says you could depend on. See, we think lying is such a trivial and trite thing. Let me read you a verse, okay? Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Okay. 
You don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you. Okay. But for the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable and murderers, okay, I know this is going to talk about judgment, okay, murderers, and immoral persons, okay, that makes sense. And sorcerers, you could even call this drug dealers or drug users, okay, because the word there is pharmakeia, and they used to use drugs to see God, okay? And idolaters, and then the last portion he says, and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second. Wait, 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 wait. Slow down. Okay. Are you telling me that as a murderer will be cast, who is unrepentant, never turns to Christ, continually, habitually murder in his heart, never wants to turn, are you telling me that that person... And that immoral person is going to be thrown into hell as, as well as a liar? The Bible says, yeah. Why? Because it's an indication of an unregenerate heart. If you're continually, habitually, always lying. Why? Because you have a new father. Your old father was this. Jesus said in John 8, 44, along with the Jews, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Listen, this is what Jesus's indictment is. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he lies. He speaks from his nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now you have a new father if you know Christ. This is why when a lie comes out of your mouth, let's not be naive. You may even still lie occasionally. And when you lie, when it comes out, you know you've done wrong and you've got to get right. 2 John 1.3 says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. But the very nature of your new father is truth. And so as a child of God, you've got to tell the truth. Well, how do you do that? It says here in verse 25, therefore, speak truth with each one of you, his neighbor. He says, laying aside falsehood, you have to put it off. You have to lay it aside. It's the same word that uh, the gospel uses when they were going to beat Stephen with stones, when they stoned Stephen, they would lay aside their cloaks so that they could move freely. And what the Bible is saying here is instead of doing it for unrighteousness, he's saying, God is saying here to lay aside sin, lay aside lying, lay aside deception. It's a commitment to remove all kinds of lies and falsehood in your life. Lying often protects your reputation. And the reason why you want to keep lying is because you don't want others to think poorly of you. So you shade the truth. You move the truth. You make it sound right for you. Now, lying can be an exaggeration. Lying can be an embellishment, coloring it to your side. Right? Lying... Could in, 
includes all of whatever, whatever white lies are. They're lies, right? They're sins against God. Padding your timesheets. Cheating on your taxes. These are half-truths. Lying could also be when you've sinned and you don't repent fully. Or you hold on and you say, instead of owning the sin, you say, I did this because you did this. And it's making excuses for yourself, right? Then it says, each one of you, each one of you, every Christian. Every Christian is it's called. He's called to. Then he says this. Uh, well, let me let me just uh, as a side note. Okay. This verse sometimes this, people use this verse wrongly. Speak truth, each one of you, his neighbor. Sometimes people use this verse so that they could say whatever things that's on their mind with no filter towards anyone at any time. That's not what the verse is saying. Okay. Um. It's not necessarily everything all the time. Sometimes we have to hold things in confidence. Okay? If we're doing ministry, someone confides in you, and you want to, uh, and it's a touchy situation, you want to bear the gospel with them, and you have to trust, you have to entrust, you have to guard that confidence. Okay? Um, you don't have to say everything all the time. That's not uh, not telling the truth. That's not lying. Or, you don't have to say all the truth all the time. Some folks think that this is carte blanche, carte blanche to say anything they want. Oh, you look fat today. Completely fat today. Oh, you look ugly. You look horrible, right? And then you say, that is cruel. That is rude. Well, I'm only speaking the truth. It's true. You ever hear people say that? It's true. You know, and we're going to see this later, brothers and sisters. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it all the time. Does it edify? Does it feed? Does it uplift? Just because it's true does it, doesn't give you carte blanche to say it all the time. Right? There's, a, there's a wisdom there. Then it says, this is, uh, this is just still speaking about truth. It says, with his neighbor... For we are members of one another. And the context, again, is in the local church. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And what he is saying is this. The body cannot function without trust. You got it. The body cannot function if we're covering tracks, if we've sinned and we're not telling one another it cannot function without trust. You need to deal with each other with all honesty and love. This also means confessing when you have lied. Now, I have, I have an example of this. Okay. I remember I was speaking to a brother some years ago. I was speaking to a brother, and I'm such a sinner. I lied to him. I did. Because I didn't want him to think evil of me, so I covered my tracks. Okay? A couple weeks later, I'm supposed to preach. You see? You see the heat on my ears. And I know he is in the body of Christ. Okay? And I know he's going to be looking across at me. And if I never said anything, no one would ever know. 
and I'd get away with it. But God would. And I know that I can't operate in this local context of a church. So I, with my tail in between my legs, hating every moment of it because I know what has to happen. I had to pull him aside and said how stupid and embarrassed I am and confess and repent and said, I'll never do it again. Please forgive me. And he forgave me. And then that hour I preached powerfully by God's strength. But I know God would not have blessing on me if I kept that lie and I kept that sin. He won't let you keep lying, brothers and sisters. It is not of his nature. And he won't let his children be this way. Are you covering your tracks? Are you covering your tracks? God desires that we would be truthful with one another. Amen? Second, how do you reform? Number, another one is to control your temper. Control your temper. Verses 26 to 27. And here we have to break it down because there's a lot of things that are being taught about anger. Okay, Verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. First, he says, be angry. Let's stop. Okay, This is a strange portion of scripture because a lot of times people think, and this is what the world thinks, that a Christian should never be angry. And yet, what is the command here? To what? To be angry. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let's back up, right? This verse is saying for you to be angry. And yet what? Do not sin. So the, the word there for be angry and what I believe this to be is righteous anger. Okay. When there is an injustice, when there is sin, when there is something that goes against God's word, you ought to be angry. You ought to be angry what's happening with this country. You ought to be angry. Okay? But God says in your anger what? Do not sin. Look, God is angry. He is holy, but he's angry. Psalm 78, verse 1. The anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. Jesus gets angry. Did you know that? He gets angry. Mark chapter 3, verse 5. After looking around at them with anger, after he healed the man with the withered hand, and instead of saying, hallelujah, instead of saying, praise the Lord, instead of saying, I'm so happy that God has done this for you, they say, how dare you do this on the Sabbath? And Jesus gets incredibly angry. After looking at them with anger, Mark 3, 5, grieved at the hardness of their heart, their hardness caused him anger. He said to them, stretch out your hand and and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple. And it doesn't use the word anger, but I could just see the zeal and the anger. Zeal for my father's house consumes me, is the text, right? And as Jesus was turning over the tables, 
Why? Because they were offering blemished animals, charging, charging them at exorbitant amounts, and still making a profit with the money changers as people were coming in because they knew they had to make a sacrifice. And so Jesus says, you are just making money off of me. You're not really obeying me. You're not pleasing me. So Jesus gets angry. Man can have righteous anger. Yes, you can. You can have righteous anger. It ought to anger you what's happening in the abortion clinics. It ought to anger you what's happening with sex trafficking. Tra sex trafficking. It ought to anger you what's happening. Right? But you can easily slip. And so when I feel this sense of anger, a sense of righteous anger, I always watch myself. You know why? Because I have this tendency to just fall. And it becomes a righteous anger that could have pleased and honored God. And now it becomes Angelo's righteous retribution and vengeance. And I'm riding on my horse with a sword, lopping people's heads off. He says, do not sin. Now, now we're going to turn into unrighteous anger. There is a form of righteous anger and there's a form of unrighteous anger. And the seesaw is very slippery. Okay. Be careful. When you're angry like this, I always ask my brothers, hey, am I thinking right? Because I'm so inflamed right now, right? Am I thinking right? Somebody bring me back down, you know, so I, and I want... And so I check myself that way, and you ought to as well. So unrighteous anger says, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So what happens is there is a point in time where if you decide to succumb to temptation, you will sin against God himself. So he says, how do you stop this? He says, one of the ways you stop this is to understand James 1.20, where the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. But also, the, one of the ways you stop this is you keep short accounts. Okay? Keep short accounts. He says here, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what he is saying is that there is in this brief time window when you are sensing or you're feeling and you think that you're about to sin, you either you have to use that energy, you have to move that energy to deal with it in a godly way. Either you forbear. There's only two ways. Okay? Either you forbear or you talk it out and you reconcile. Right? And those are the only ways that God would have you deal with it. And let me, let me, give, you a, let me give you some uh, biblical advice. If you choose to forbear and it's always gnawing on you, you have not forborne. If it's always gnawing on you, you better, you better go talk to that person. Because that's God himself weighing on your conscience. And you have to yield. Right? Now, keep short accounts. Husbands, wives, if there's a fight. If there's a, wow, not at our church. We don't fight. Oh, man. Let's be real, right? If there's an argument, keep short accounts. 
to go away for a little bit of time and then come back and say, please forgive me and reconcile. Children with your parents, if there's an argument, if there's a fight, keep short accounts. Dads, lead in asking for forgiveness. If you have sinned and you've sinned heinously, lead in this. Don't make any excuses. Lead in this, and then your kids will respect you. Moms, do the same. Recognize the enemy's tactics. It says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Delay leaves you susceptible. Now here's here's, here's, a re, here's a, uh, some scenarios I'll give you, okay? Here's a scenario. If you delay in godly action and in godly response, okay, what happens is you turn the burner on in your anger and you just let it simmer. Okay? It's kind of like a pressure cooker with a loose latch. Just leave it on and watch what's going to happen. Boom, it's going to explode. Okay? Rather than using the God-given tools for release. I'm just saying these scenarios, okay? Parents, your children, you're, you don't decide, if you don't discipline your children the first time, okay? And you're not, and fathers are being too lax, okay? And you just let it go. I've seen fathers, I've seen moms, just let it go. They just keep letting it go. And then what happens? It starts to build. It starts to build. And their kids just start to be crazy and crazy. It starts to build. It starts to build. And then what happens at the end right there? Rather than you dealing it with it in a godly manner, disciplining your kids in the beginning the way God has told you, right? The way God has designed, you let it simmer. You let this happen. And it simmered and it simmered and it simmered. And then at that moment when you couldn't take it anymore, you exploded at your kid, right? Now you are in sin. Why? Because you did not let the sun go down on your anger, right? You just let it simmer. Oh, are you guilty of this? I'm guilty of it, right? Rather than dealing with it while you were still in control. Couples, allowing things to slow simmer, same thing. Work relationships, allowing miscommunication and mistrust to boil. In the church, not giving the benefit of the doubt, not going directly to the person. It's a selfish anger, unbridled, vengeful. It's not to be in your life. Romans 12 says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so here you got to stop. And even as I read these verses, I just, I just see it in, in the mirror as, as a mirror to my soul. How many times have I taken my own vengeance, right? By the words I say, by the actions that I do by the tones that I use to communicate, right? I want to hurt that person because of the way they talk to me. I want to hurt that person, right? I don't want to, I'm so angry at my kids that I don't want to, sorry kids, I'm just, I'm just talking as a dad, okay? 
I'm so angry at my kids. I'm so angry at my kids that now, instead of dealing with it in a biblical manner, not only do I want to do that, but I want to hurt them. I want to pop their bubble. I want to deflate them, hurt their feelings. That is ungodly, brothers and sisters. And husbands and wives, we've got to help each other with this when we fail. Because we fail. We've got to help each other. My wife, what she does is, when she sees I'm kind of like there, she'll say, honey, you want me to take this one? Yeah, I want you to take this one. Or when I see her, she's right there. And some of the signals I know is when she says, or children. Honey, your children. And I go, when they're good, they're your children. But now they're my children, right? And I go, honey, can I take this one from you? Yes. And we relieve each other. Why? Because I know there's an area of susceptibility. And I don't want the devil to get a foothold. We're going to say things we don't want to say. We're going to do things we, we don't want to really do. And we don't want to do any damage in that way, right? Control your temper. Give your resources, verse 28. Verse 28, it says, in Ephesians 4, 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has needs. Don't be just a taker. Don't be just a taker. The word there, uh, let him who steals steal no longer, that word there for steal is the word where we get, uh, it's the word klepto. What does it sound like? A kleptomaniac, right? Stealing time. Stealing office supplies. You know, don't worry, I'll get pens from the office. It'll be fine. Right? Cheating on taxes. Stealing change when someone charges you incorrectly. Taking money from mama's purse. But the Bible says, rather than being a, a taker, to be a giver. It says, let him labor. Provide for yourself. It says, performing with his own hands what is good. It is God's desire and plan that you work. It is good. It is right. It is noble. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we know, we hear that some of you are leading an indisciplined life. 1 Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Not only are you supposed to provide for your own family, but it says provide for others. Instead of taking and taking and taking, find ways to generate and to give. It says provide for others in order that he may have something to share with him who has no need. Earn to give beyond the needs of your own family. So that you can be hospitable. Um, um, I constantly get letters from pastors who we know. And it's amazing. I, I just want to commend you, RBC. We are a church that's only six months long. We are supporting five missionaries. Okay. And we could help missionaries out whenever there's a chance. I got a letter from Brian Sheely. There's a pastor who needs some, uh, a medical trip to come to the U.S. And uh, we've decided to help them. Uh, not a lot, just a little. A little to get them uh, over here so that they can get examined by the hospital. But it's wonderful because you guys have been giving generously. And we can do good works like that. And we praise the Lord. I mean, we're six months old. How, how's that even happening? 
One of the missionaries is sick. Okay, let's go take care of him. Wonderful. Brothers, I just, uh, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Excel still more. Verse 29. Verse 29. And so we said to alter or reform your behavior, maintain your integrity, control your temper, give your resources. And then lastly, encourage your brother. Encourage your brother. It says in verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only such is a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. The word therefore unwholesome means rotten, worthless, decayed, evil, rancid. It's used of decaying fish or fruit, no longer useful for food. Uh, my kids and I did a chore that they hate doing, but we all do it together so we're all equally miserable. That's cleaning out old leftovers from yesteryear that's just been pushed in the back, right? So we all kind of, all right, here it goes, right? And we open all that, and, it, and it's just nasty, and it stinks, right? And everyone knows their job that they're supposed to throw their stuff away right away. We throw the trash right away, and we, clean, we put all the dishes right away. We wash them right away. Why? Because it stinks. It's rotten. And the Bible says the way you use your tongue can be that way. You can deflate people by the way you use your tongue. And I would even add, you can deflate people by the way you even use your tone. I'm glad my daughters always teach me that. Daddy, your tone. Daddy, your tone. Guys, we're like, oh, whatever. Right? We don't whatever, right? Guys don't care. It just rolls off, right? But, but my girls, they tell me, your tone is not kind. And then I realize, and I stop, and I ask for forgiveness because I've sinned against. <laughs> and this verse is talking about unwholesome, it's coarse joking, foul, discouraging language, hurtful, exasperating. Are we exasperating in our speech? I remember... I remember I was I think I was riding one of my kids so much that the child just gave up. There's no encouragement, there's no inspiration. And it was my fault. I don't want to be that way. So how are you in, to be encouraging? It says only he uses these, these terms, okay? Only such as his word is good. And he, ha he has three different categories to help you to craft your speech, okay? One is edification. And so the question that you need to ask yourself before you say it, stop, okay, and think. Does it build him or her up? Now, it doesn't necessarily always have to be warm and bubbly, okay? Sometimes it's a rebuke, but even in the rebuke, does it build him or her up? Are you aiming to win the individual to Christ or just win the argument? Secondly, is it appropriate according to the need of the moment? Is it timely and appropriate? Are you saying the right thing in the right way? And this takes wisdom. And this, brothers and sisters, God will give you wisdom in this. I'm telling you, 
you may mess up, okay? And praise the Lord, there's forgiveness. But you go back to this. I want to be a person who can speak the right thing at the right time. As apples of gold and settings of silver, so is the word spoken in what? Right circumstance. You grow in this. Okay? Thirdly, gracious. Are you gracious in your delivery that it may give grace to those who hear? So form your behavior. Secondly, secondly, and I got to hustle. Remember your God. Remember your God. Verse 30. There are two main things here, two main pieces here in remembering your God. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. First, personal offense of sin. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The word there for grieve means to vex, to offend, to irritate, to insult, to be sad, to distress, to grieve, to sorrowful, to sadden. See, this speaks to the Holy Spirit's personhood. Like we said last week, when you sin, it isn't just against the law of God. It isn't just that there's an infraction against this third-party law, right? But it's also a personal, blatant, high-handed offense against the high and holy God. You sin against the Holy Spirit of God. And that's where you need to take your sin all the way up. So it isn't just a word that I said. It isn't just something that I stole. It isn't just those things. But that I am sinning high-handed in the face of the Holy Spirit. What's his first portion of his name? Holy! You, here's a paraphrase. Brothers and sisters, please listen. You break the heart of God when you sin. You could paraphrase this in another way. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Now, so there is the personal offense of the sin, but there's also a weighty gravity of the sin. And he he calls the Holy Spirit, and he has this phrase that describes him, and it says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what he's saying is he's hearkening back to Ephesians chapter 1. You remember when he talked about election, regeneration. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, go with me there. Okay? Look at this. He's using the same language. He says, in him you also, 1.13, Ephesians 1.13, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of his own possession, to the praise of his glory. And so what God has done as a pledge, as a down payment, as an engagement ring, is he's given us the Holy Spirit, and he has sealed it until the day of redemption. That means it won't be opened. Your salvation is guaranteed. And then this is what he is saying in juxtapos juxtaposition of our sin. He says, when you sin, you're sinning against God who has already guaranteed your salvation. And so you do it presumptuously. You already know you're saved. You already know what he's done to protect you. You already know what he's done to secure your salvation. And you sin it anyways. Oh, what foul people are. 
Now, if we left it there, we'd have no hope. Right? I'm so glad there's a third part. Right? Renew your heart. Renew your heart. Look at verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4 and 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be away from you, along with all malice. First, remove the sinful patterns of your heart. Remove it. Be put away from you. The emphasis is on the internal battle that leads to an outward expression of sin. There is a fight that goes on in yourself. Oftentimes, Christian place so much emphasis on attacks from the devil. You know what? I have a lot of attacks from myself that I still have to deal with. I'll get with the devil later on. There's so much garbage in myself still. I'm busy enough with my own sins. Thank you very much. But the sinful attitudes, bitterness, that's a resentment. It's a simmering grudge attitude. They did this to me. They didn't invite me to dinner. I'm going to just boil that. I'm not sitting next to them. I'm not inviting them. Wrath. That is a wild rage. Okay? That's temporal. It's fleeting. So usually folks on the gamut of anger, you're either in the bitterness or the wrath portion. Okay? You either slow boil or you explode. Okay? One of the two. Both of them are sinful. You've got God-given releases, and that is reconciliation and forbearance, right? To deal with the issue at hand and giving it to God. Sinful behaviors, it's clamor. That's the outburst of anger, the loss of control, okay? Slander is ongoing bad talking of someone due to a bitter heart. Malice is a generally all kinds of evil. So it's not simply rooting out, but replacing. It's not just, we're not just going to take this out, but you're going to replace it. And what do you replace it with? Righteous patterns of the heart. Okay? Righteous patterns of the heart. Look at verse 32. Verse 32, it says, be kind. <laughs> this is a saying in our house all the time. Be kind. We always slow down. If the tone is bad, be kind. Kind, right? Not nice. You know there's no verse in the Bible that says be nice. There's no verse. There's a kindness, right? There's an affection, right? Good, pleasant, benevolent. God was kind with you, wasn't he? Do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Be tender-hearted. The word there is a deep feeling in the bowels, compassion, just as Jesus felt when he looked at the multitude. And here's where I want to I want to stay here just a few minutes, this last portion. Be forgiving. Be forgiving. Forgiving means to send away, to release from debt. And you know, as, as we are coming to a close here, what is the implication that Paul is saying. He says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now think, 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 think. Why would Paul say, forgive each other? What's the implication? That we will what? Sin against each other. Wow. Okay, here it goes. Okay. 
church in Ephesus, he goes, I already know. Here's the standard. But I know that I, 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 I realize that people will sin. They will fall in the flesh. They will not trust in Christ. They won't always walk in the spirit. They will fall into sin, right? You and I, brothers and sisters, okay, you and I will sin against each other. You and I will offend, irritate, and vex each other. But keep this in mind. Okay? You, can't, you can't do all this. You can't. Not without Christ. Not without his power. But not without his forgiveness first. Look what he says. This little phrase here, I think, is just... The key for it all. He says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. See, people who, people who claim to be Christians in the church, who do not forgive others, they don't realize how sinful they really are. They don't realize how much Christ sacrificed. And they don't realize how great his, his forgiveness to cover all of your sins. Now here it is. Brothers and sisters. If you've failed with your language. If you have failed. With your. Um, with stealing. If you have failed with your relationships. If you have failed with this. Here is your hope. Brothers and sisters. It's in the last portion. Just as Christ has forgiven you. Okay? Done. Confess, repent, it's already done. Amen? It's done just as he has forgiven you. Even the sins you're going to do, yes! He has forgiven you. How could you not forgive your brother and sister? So, to live this new life, reform your behavior, reform, remember your God, Renew your heart, but knowing full well none of this occurs apart from the forgiveness and the life that Christ himself gives. He says what? He says what? An eternal life is this, that they may know thee, the one true God, and what? Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He is the eternal life. We get him. Amen? And that's why we could live this way now. And we could actually be honest with each other. And we could actually live and be kind to one another. Excel still more, brothers and sisters. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. What a revealing, revealing text. Revealing. I felt like I was gutted, Lord. By your text, by the sword of your word. Oh, Lord, cleanse us, cleanse us this morning. If if we are not right with one another, I pray that we would confess and repent and reconcile with one another. If we're not right with you, I pray we would do that. Help us to live this out. Empowered by your spirit. Informed by your word. Impassioned by the Christ. We pray. Thank you for this time. Help us to sing. 
Help us to celebrate this Sunday in Jesus' name. Amen.